Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. In today's episode, let's talk about when do brands want to partner with publishers, especially um, in the paid model. So, of course, I've worked in that industry myself in B2B publishing. That happens um, relatively uh, frequently. Um, and today's expert that will help us walk through that topic is Tyler Benedict. He, has, uh, he runs the Bike Rumor website, also has a podcast, and, of course, the Peak Content Summit um, that happened earlier this year uh, in North Carolina, I think. Tyler, how's it going? Good. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Thanks for joining us. Um, so tell us about um, paid projects. So, so first of all, what, what are we talking about when we sit, when we throw that term around? Well, so, you know, the, I think what most people think about what I used to think about with that was like sponsored content, right? Or advertorials and kind of the, the really crappy stuff that you see in some magazines that makes people cringe and stuff that probably very few people, if anyone actually reads, but you know, they were super popular and um, I can kind of to get to where we are today with bike rumor, I can kind of tell you like how we came up with the paid opportunities that we offer to our advertisers and brands in the cycling space. And then um, kind of give you some ideas about how people can, really easily tweak that to fit whatever side of it they're on, you know, whether they're the brand trying to work with the media or the media trying to get more brands involved in their storytelling. Absolutely. Um, so quick, couple, two quick questions though. Um, sure. So when we talk about sponsored content, editorials, like in print, I mean, were you referring to, so that you see it in print, right? And it was popular because popular because nobody knew if anybody read it. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, right. People ask to run an advertorial, and if nobody reads it, did it work? Well, we don't know. Um, yeah, who knows? Right. Um, but we still see those types of projects um, even in the digital world, right? I mean, I still see what I would call sponsored content under the old model. I mean, that still happens online too, doesn't it? Yeah, unfortunately. And it's, um, I think, for a couple of reasons. Laziness, for one. It's hey, we got exposure on this website. And then the people just aren't tracking, you know, click through or read, read rates or any of that stuff. Um, or it's just the ability to go and show the person who hired you that, hey, look, I did something. Look, we got a story on X and Y websites. Mm -hmm. But, you know, whether or not they're effective is sort of not always the point for some people, I think. Right. It's the how many people saw it. Did they do anything? Uh, no, they didn't. But at least we were in front of people. That's the old model. Um, so I'll be quite quite honest here, Tyler. I don't even have a bike. Um, my five-year-old's bike had two flat tires. Um, so I promptly put that in the back of my, um, my SUV and took it to the shop to get fixed. Um, not, not really good at any of those kind of things. Um, but So I don't read Bike Rumor, as you might have guessed. But tell everybody what's the site, uh, what's the model, and then we can jump into uh, some of those things that you offer and, and uh, that you make work with clients on paid projects. Yeah, sure. So I started Bike Rumor in July of 08, so we're turning uh, 12 very soon. Um, and the point of it was to offer readers and cyclists the an easy, quick, easy way to see all of the latest and greatest new products. So we focus pretty much exclusively on the new bikes, new components, new tech, all the shiny stuff. And 
we do that because that's what was interesting to me and the writers I brought on. That's what's interesting to them. And so we don't cover the racing news or the so much of the industry news side of it, like new hires and business stuff like that for the cycling world. It's really just about the products. And we went with the blog format, which when we launched was a, a really unique thing for the cycling space. You know, I was a fan of Engadget, the tech blog, and didn't see anything like that for cyclists that covered cycling products. And so we launched that, you know, built it on WordPress and it's just grown and grown and grown. And, you know, now we average somewhere around 3 million monthly page views with a global audience. Um, about 55% or so of that is usually us and North America. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just become a really popular website for cyclists everywhere. And I'm just looking at it. I mean, there's even stuff on here. I mean, I um, I was joking about uh, fixing my kid's bike, but you even have content on here um, that dads who have uh, kids with bikes might care about. Yeah, and moms. Um, yeah, we, we did that recently, you know, just because of the stuff that's going on right now with people in lockdown and everyone's out riding their bikes. We wanted to provide kind of a guide for the not-so-expert person that's trying to figure out you know what bike to buy for their kids or where to get one now because a lot of people are sold out so we try to you know we try and provide information that's you know timely and helpful as well as just the constant stream of new stuff and so three million page views though a month i mean that's unbelievable how how long did it take you to to get to a place where you thought this this is my full-time job (laughs) Uh, it took a couple of years and I was doing a lot of freelance copywriting and graphics and stuff like that on the side to pay the bills in the meantime, because that was still preferable to me than going and getting a real job. I make a pretty lousy employee when I have to work for somebody else, but super driven and motivated to work for myself. So yeah, it took a couple of years and then, um, you know, gradually we added one more full-time writer and then another. So we've got two full-time right now, one kind of on contract for about 30 hours a week and then a few freelancers scattered around. And that's our team. And we've had many of these people with us for you know many, many years now. It's just a fun thing to do. Very interesting, very cool to see. Uh, and then how do you work with brands? I mean, so the, the brands, correct me if I'm wrong, probably um, bike manufacturers, others, right? That are trying to reach your audience, I assume. Yeah, primarily endemic, which, you know, if you don't know what endemic means or any of your listeners, it just means that within the industry. So like, uh, you know, Trek bikes would be an endemic advertiser, whereas like Nissan would not be for our site. So, yeah, it's almost all of our advertisers who with whom we have a direct relationship are endemic to the bike industry. And um, then, of course, all the backfill is handled by a network that, uh we've come and we went through a lot of networks and found a really good one. And so that was, you know, for many, many years, our entire source of revenue was ever, you know, banner ads. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was because for many, many years, I saw so many bad examples of sponsored content and advertorials that just literally, I just, I looked at it and like, this is terrible, but not only is it terrible, it's, it's almost embarrassing. Like I would be embarrassed to have that type of content on my website. So even though it can be super lucrative, you know, like how easy is it for a brand to send you a pre-written thing with a couple of photos, slap it up and boom, you just made a few thousand dollars, right? Like that's easy, but it's, we shied away from that because we didn't want to break the trust that we have with our readers. And we don't want to give them that kind of junk because we wouldn't want to read that junk ourselves. You know, it's the same reason why we don't use those content recommendation engines on our websites. You know, it's just because it's 
the kind of tabloid fodder that comes up on that stuff is horrible. And I'm, every time I see that stuff on a site, I'm just surprised that that site is doing it, except that they're literally making thousands of dollars every month just for slapping a plug-in on there. So we leave thousands of dollars on the table every month just to keep our site as a really, really clean, enjoyable user experience. And the users appreciate it. Now, um, I hope so. Right? <laughs> now, the, the, so what's interesting is I, so I'm just scrolling you through your site. And I mean, even to a guy like me, who is not really part of that field, um, very interesting um, articles and, and layout and how everything plays together. And even like the ads, I mean, so you still have traditional ads on here. Um, and the one, I mean, I clicked on it. I wanted to see it, right? It's about e-bikes. And so um, some people in my family, they do have e-bikes. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. I, I, I wonder, you know, and I forwarded the link after I clicked on it to them. So you still do advertising as well, right? It's not, you're not, you're not one of the guys that says, um, forget about advertising. We're just doing uh, content marketing, right? You're, it's a mix. Yeah, there's there's no way we would be alive without uh, the advertising in there to kind of fill in the gaps and stuff. So the content, you know, paid content side of it is definitely growing. I mean, that's honestly where we're seeing our revenue growth. The ad revenue has been super sta stable, like which is nice because I can count on pretty much a certain amount of money every month from that. And um, so where we're able to see growth right now is through selling more of these content projects. And I can dive into some of the stuff that we do if you want. Yeah, please do. Okay, so like I said, you know, I saw a lot of stuff that was bad out there and literally for years. And I was just kind of like, well, we just can't do that. You know, so we had to figure out what, and that's actually one of my favorite kind of challenges is, okay, we have to do something, but we can't do that. So what can we do? And the, the solutions I came up with was to create these kind of prepackaged little things that the, you could drop any brand into. And so some of the ones we came up with were like the really easy ones are like a reader survey contest. And so that one lets the brand send us three or four questions along with whatever they want to give away as a prize to incentivize people to participate. So we turn it into a little survey, the readers answer it, drop in their email address, and then um, the brand gets all of that feedback. So it's great consumer research, market research for them because they're getting, it's not like we're making up the questions. The brand's literally asking our readers exactly what they want to know. So it's super relevant information to them and they're capturing email addresses. So it's kind of like they're getting two for one with that one. And then our readers like it because they're getting a chance to win something. And so that's, and that right there sums up the whole kind of principle of how we would do any sort of content marketing on our site, which is it has the value, it has to provide value to our readers because if they're not interested in it and they're not going to read it, then what's the point? And it has to provide value to the brand that's paying for it because if they're not getting value of it, they're not going to pay for it. And then if those two things happen, then we win because we get paid and we have really good content on our site. So all three parties have to win for any content, you know, paid content thing to work. And so one of the other ones that we came up with was, we call it ask a stupid question, which flips the script on the reader survey contest in that the readers get to ask the brands the question and a brand will answer it. And so we run them frequently where, you know, cause reader, we get a lot of questions in and we just kind of farm it out to whichever brands are able to answer that week, but a brand can sponsor it. Like for example, next week we'll have them with Shimano. 
and Shimano, you know, so we, we call it out to our readers and say, hey, Shimano is answering your questions about blank. And we usually try and narrow it down a little bit. And so the readers are excited because they're like, holy cow, you mean like all my questions I've had about Shimano and their gearing and their drivetrains and everything else, I can ask them and Shimano is going to answer it? That's amazing. So our readers win because they literally now have, we're opening the door of access to that brand for them. The brands love it because now they're finding out exactly what all of their potential customers are really curious about, which can inform all of their marketing for the next however long, right? Months or years. Because if they were marketing it one way, but nobody cared because they still had all these questions before they would buy, now they know what these people are answering and all of their marketing can go answer those questions and reduce that hurdle to purchase. Um, and so it's great content for us. We get paid by the brand to do it. The readers love it. So again, everybody wins, right? Um, and then we started looking at more custom stuff. So we do one called the where to ride feature where you know, we'll go travel somewhere. It could be domestically or internationally. We've done both and we'll bring in brand partners. And like one of my favorite ones we did last fall was Slovenia. So Buddy and I went gravel biking for a week in Slovenia, which was amazing. And we had five different brands sponsor that trip. So we did this huge story, huge video around gravel biking in Slovenia, big travel feature about how to plan your own trip, where to go, what to do. And in every photo and all of the video, you're seeing this bike and these clothing and this helmet and the shoes and the pedals and all these brands that supported the trip. So it's implied endorsement for one, it's great product placement, but then they also get um, call outs and mentions within that story and dedicated product reviews afterwards. So now, it, you know, it may not be that that story blows up immediately, but for the next 10 years, whenever somebody's planning a bike trip to Slovenia or any of the other places that we've gone, they're seeing these same products. So it's, you know, it's this investment that just keeps paying off because it's such evergreen content and it's immensely valuable. And the, you know, the nice thing is like, so Niner Bikes sponsored that trip. Well, if you're trying to plan this trip and you're trying to figure out what equipment to bring or what bike to use, and you see that this Niner bike worked really well for that trip and we enjoyed it. And, you know, like, I mean, we, we don't fluff it. We give honest opinions and feedbacks in there. You're going to be like, well, you know, I kind of need a new bike for this trip. That one looked good. I'm going to go with that one. So it, it's a, it's a big project, but it's really cool. And um, it's stuff like that, right? Like, and that's where I would encourage, you know, kind of the takeaway I hope people have is a, you have to put your readers first. Right? Like if your readers are not getting anything out of this content, then why are you posting it? You know, yes, you might make a little bit of money, but that's probably not going to last. And if you do too many of those pieces that have zero interest to your readers and are, you know, can tell you can tell it's a commercial and it's just not enjoyable to read and you keep having that kind of content, people are going to start seeking out other places to find the content that they want. Um, and then, you know, the brand has the benefit too, because they're the ones putting the bill on it. So if the brand's not getting what they want out of it, they're not going to come back for more. And that's, you know, key is you want to build those relationships where you can continue to run more and more and bigger and bigger paid projects with the brands. I got like a hundred questions. Uh, fantastic. Away. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic overview, Tyler, already. Um, so the, uh, I did notice that myself that, um, there's a longer period of when you can see results. So I'll give you an example. Um, I wrote Content Performance Culture um, in last year, right? It published in January about my book, 
right? And the book, uh, then the, the podcast title says Content Performance Culture with Christoph Trapp. Well, some of the people whose podcasts I've been on, now they're ranking for my book title. Kind of funny, right? But <laughs> it's actually helpful because if you search for my book, those podcasts give it more credibility, right? But had I, had I run a campaign right. with them, would I really truly say, okay, you might rank for my book down the road? Like, you know, don't people just say, hey, what are the immediate? I mean, I've, I don't know if I've ever had anybody say to me, what are the results after 90 days? People always want the results today, right? The day it publishes or the day something gets pushed out. I mean, how, how do you get people to understand that it's, it's a longer term model and it's not just we're publishing today and this is it? Well, I mean, some people get it and some people don't. I mean, I, I, believe me, over the last 12 years, we've had to do a ton of education, which is why I put on the Peak Content Summit earlier this year is because as we started ramping up our paid content efforts and packages, like we were answering the same questions over and over and over again. And so there's there's definitely some marketers get it, some brands get it. They understand that this is a long-term investment and we just explain it. We That's how we sell it, right? I mean, short of like, you know, or ask a stupid question in our reader surveys, those are, those are almost like promoting a flash sale, right? Like, you know, people are going to respond immediately because there's a short-term um, response to that. You know, the contest closes on the weekend. The ask a stupid question is publishing next week. So I need to get my questions in and then I need to answer or read it because I want to see the answers. But, you know, not the contest so much, but the ask a stupid question, those are massively evergreen content with so much search value. Because think about it, I mean, what's the whole point of search is to answer people's mm -hmm. questions, right? And so if you're literally answering people's questions in this story and there's like five or 10 or 20 questions about this topic, that is a hugely beneficial piece to have up there. Now, think about it this way. What we always tell the brands when they're answering those questions is, look, this is, you might be sponsoring it, you might not be. This is not a commercial for your brand. You know, if we're gonna talk about, let's just say gravel bike drivetrains, right? You need to answer the question so that anybody looking at the gravel bike understands what the gearing options are for this drivetrain. Why would I want this over this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because you're not trying to sell your product, but what you're trying to do is, hey, look, I just got all this information. Shimano answered that. Yeah, you know, I kind of, I like what they said. I, I kind of like that Shimano stuff. So yeah, there's other drivetrain brands out there, but who is your new expert authority and the go-to source for your information. Well, it's Shimano because they just answered all your questions, right? And that people will be searching for that stuff for years because those kinds of things don't change that often. So it sort of depends on the topic, but yeah. So, you know, to go back to your podcast example, if people talking about your book on other podcasts, right? Like it, it's great if Shimano on their website talks about all of these things, but when a third party basically endorses it by talking about those same things. And that third party site has a ton of authority, which, you know, in the cycling space, our site has a ton of authority. It helps a ton because Google looks at that and says, well, all right, you know, you're searching for gravel drivetrains. This, this site over here with a ton of authority did a huge, did a lot of content on that. And here's, it, it kind of matches what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely good. And then, you know, other websites, like it's not just us. There's a bunch of other cycling websites that are great too. You know, so if if you're running different content programs and paid content and, and taking a different approach on all these other sites, like you can't just do it on one. I mean, I'd love to take every brand's money, but 
the truth is our audiences has, you know, its own little tent to it. The other audiences on other cycling websites have their own little tent. So you want to mix and match and do that. The flip side of that is like, you still need banner ads and stuff for this, like just kind of visual brand awareness, but it's, you know, those banner ads are fleeting. They're gone in a second. They don't add anything to, you know, this, I've heard one person call it search juice, right? Like it's not providing any kind of long-term value in terms of search. So you, you either have to keep running this banner campaign constantly so that the chances are when somebody goes to these websites, they're seeing something, or you can put that money into a really good paid content, you know, story, some sort of editorial effort that will just pay dividends for years. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously you cover content um, around um, cycling. Um, and, you know, same if you think about my blog and my podcast, I mean, I cover the industry, right? But I also do projects with people. Um, and how, so how do you find the balance between, let's call it editorial content versus when you either turn it back and make a pitch that it should be a paid project? Or how do you, because, right, anybody could come to you and say, hey, uh, Tyler, do you want to do a story on this? I mean, the answer could be yes, editorially speaking, for something that could be a paid project, right? Yeah, it, and it's, I mean, if we only did paid projects, we'd have a very thin website. Um, you know, and that's what we try and tell the brand. Say, look, here's the deal. When you have a new product, new technology, something really interesting, send us the information. Like, chances are we're just going to write a story about it because that's what our readers expect from our site. That's the kind of information we want, and that's, you know, those kinds of stories are what help draw an audience to our site. And without our audience, then why are we even going to try and sell you something? Because nobody's going to see it. So we still have to do a lot of that. And I think that's what most people should plan on spending most of their time doing. It's just putting out really good content to attract an audience, right? And I'm talking from the media side of it, not like a brand. Yes, you should be making content for your website too. But, you know, from a media standpoint, you need to be pumping out enough good content to attract an audience. And so then, you know, when we start talking to a brand, like uh, there's one I, I was talking, I was giving this example. So this is just one example, right? Like, I mean, besides those kind of prepackaged things I mentioned earlier, which you can, we can plug and play any brand into, and it's not time sensitive. You know, when there's a new product launching, we want to post that story right away. So there's usually not even enough time to try and sell it. But the problem is we can't sell it because every other website in our space is going to be telling that story for free because that's, that's what we do. It's like an arms race to get the story out first. Um, but so you can do these other things where you're getting this consumer research, but then the other way to think of it is like, all right, like, so there's a suspension brand I was talking to. They've had one of their suspension forks is, you know, it, it's been out for a little while now, so it's not newsworthy in and of itself, but it's still a good product. So they could say, Hey, look, you know, you guys are planning this mountain bike trip to, some location, like let's, let's sponsor that trip. Let's get our suspension on your thing. Tell this story about how this was the right product for this, this type of trip. And here's where the travel, or maybe it's a technology story. Maybe it's like an explainer thing, right? So maybe there's a lot of questions on, um, or maybe they're getting a lot of questions about whatever, an airspring, I'm just making mm -hmm. stuff up. Yeah. You know, so let's, let's, let's work together. Let's do a little editorial series on how does an airspring actually work in a mountain bike fork? Well, maybe it's not about their, that product specifically, but they're the ones that are ex helping to explain the story. And we've done that before with kind of like tire tech and suspension tech, tech 
suspension tech, sorry, <laughs> series. Um, we're a brand will sponsor it for a few weeks and they're providing generally useful information, but it just is only their products being showcased and their engineers telling the story and explaining things. So again, you're building authority in this sub in this space on a site that has a ton of authority. And it's just like the benefits kind of compound on themselves. So it doesn't always have to be trying to sell um, just writing about a product, right? Like that would almost just be like a paid press release. Um, it's really just about how can you, you got to get a little bit creative sometimes and, you know, talk to the media too, because a lot of times the media know their audience and they know what their audience are interested in. And the creative ones can kind of come up with a fun way to tell that story that's unexpected, which is just going to get more eyeballs. So when you were talking about it, it'd be a very thin website, very true. If it was only paid content, right? Because I mean, plus that probably wouldn't work. Um, how we, we always have these debates really everywhere I go. What's the right amount of content, right? And I know there's studies out there. HubSpot says you, as a brand, you need to blog 16 times a month for the maximum results or whatever. Um, I personally think you probably, if one a week is probably uh, okay for many, many brands. Uh, but there is value to do more. But where's that? Where do you find that right line? Uh, how much content do you have to push out in a average week to to keep your three million readers in, uh, engaged? Well, we sort of was uh, I forget the phrase I used, but we've kind of like uh, done this to ourselves is what I say a lot. In that um, we've created such an expectation for so much content, fresh content every day that. If we don't, we kind of feel guilty for not. Um, you know, our goal is if we can come close to flushing the front page of content every day, the weekdays, we don't do a lot on the weekends, um, then we're pretty happy with that. Uh, so, and again, though, this is, you know, just keep in mind that this is totally different than what a brand should be doing on their, their own blog or their social media post, right? Um, it's a totally different thing because for us, A, the expectation is that we'll have a ton of new content, but B, really there's just so much new stuff and, and it's there's almost no seasonal cycle to it anymore we just get pro press releases and product news from the brands year round constant <coughs> flood of it so in on most days we have more stuff coming in than we could possibly write about with the staff that we have and so our job is to just kind of filter through and pick the best and then if there's other stuff that's sort of interesting and we can't get to it fully, we'll just sort of do roundups now and then to just say like quick little blurbs about cool new stuff. So, you know, for us, it's as much as we have time to post is the right answer. A very journalistic answer. A few episodes ago, we had uh, Mel Rod on here and he was talking really more about brands and content marketing. And he says, you know, brands need to stop talking about how often they should publish. They should do kind of what you just said what journalists do, right? Journalists have a story and then they publish that story. And, you know, at some point you might overdo it and you have to pull back. But, uh, but personally, I like that answer uh, as long as you don't kill yourself doing it because that's easy to do. There's always one more story we could publish before we call it a day. Yeah. Well, like from a brand's perspective, it's, if you're trying to tell a story as a brand, no matter where you're putting the content, right? Like, Again, just think of the value. What's the value to the reader or the customer? You know, and there's kind of the three that I always come back to, which is it's either entertaining, informing, or inspiring, right? So if you're not doing one of those three, then kind of what's the point? Because why else is anybody reading or watching anything if, except to be entertained, to learn something, 
or just kind of like generally get information and uh, I guess inform is the right one, not inspire so much. You know, you're either looking to be informed about something like reading the news, you're looking to learn something like a recipe or you're looking just straight up entertainment. So don't, I think, you know, the brands that are trying to do just have this mindset of, oh, we got to put out three things today and they end up putting out a bunch of crap. Well, what is that doing for your brand? It's showing that your brand is just putting out a bunch of crap. Like who wants to buy from a brand that's just filling their feed with junk, right? That's just annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I do campaigns, paid campaigns, obviously, you know, I have to put a disclaimer on there. Usually I try to uh, be, be halfway lighthearted, right? Like when I work with Adobe, mm-hmm. I said something like, yep, Adobe paid for my trip. Adobe is paying for this. But nonetheless, they didn't approve it, and it's still my opinion as always, you know, something like that. Um, what is, uh, how do you handle disclaimers? How do you um, highlight it um, on the side? How do people know that it's a partnership as opposed to straight-up editorial? Uh, well, it's usually super obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the case of, like, the surveys and asking stupid questions, I mean, it's straight-up clear, like, look, this brand is answering your questions, and this brand is giving away this if you enter the mm-hmm. contest. Um, you know, for like the travel ones, we'll, we'll say, Hey, you know, like the Slovenian tourism department covered our airfare and travel and food and blah, blah, blah. Um, Niner bikes supported this, you know, financially supported the trip and provided the bike. So it's, you know, we just kind of put it into conversational tone. You say, Hey, real quick. Um, sometimes if it's like, again, you know, I think, I mean, you have to, in most cases with the FTC, well, I don't, in not even most cases, you kind of have to period. Um, disclose any sort of financial arrangement between publisher and brand you know sometimes it is painfully obvious so you just say you know and i think i've used these exact words in case it's not painfully obvious so and so sponsored this post you know but here's our honest review or whatever it is right like just say it people honestly it it's so um prevalent now nobody even cares like we we don't get any pushback it, it's, it's crazy. Like the only pushback we get, funny enough, is on the posts that we do because we we tend to be pretty enthusiastic people when we write and like we're genuinely happy and excited about new products in tech. So we'll write like this really cool article about something we're just super excited about and you can kind of feel our enthusiasm in the reading and somebody, the first comment inevitably sometimes will just be, oh, this, well, this is just an ad for this brand. And they're just like, oh, really? Like, you just kind of ruined it. Like, you just took the wind out of our sails. Like, we were just super stoked on this, and this is it. So, it's funny. Like, literally this week, we had a guy do that. And I even replied. Like, the email replies I sent to him back and forth are, like, almost small novels about, like, look, man, this is why we're deleting your comment that says this is an ad. Because we just produced this great story that we were super excited about and people are going to read that and be super excited. And then they're going to see your comment and they're going to all of a sudden this seed of doubt about the trustworthiness of our story is going to be put in their head. And it's totally unwarranted, totally unjustified. We did nothing to deserve that, but you just ruined it for us. So I actually updated our comment policy this week to say, look, if you just say something to the effect of, Oh, well that's just an ad for the brand. We're just going to delete it. You know, not even going to let you know anymore. And uh, so, so Interesting. So you still have comments on. Talk about the decision to have commenting uh, enabled. Well, it's, you know, we don't claim to know everything. And a lot of times, you know, first of all, a lot of the industry reads our stuff. And so they'll chime in and we always, I think the readers love it too. So there's another pro tip, right? Like if you're a brand and somebody's writing about your stuff, 
chime in in the comments because inevitably somebody will have some questions about something we didn't answer or they'll need clarification. And when the brand jumps in, those people are super excited because they feel heard, right? Like they, now they know the brand is listening to them. So A, do that. Um, B, yeah, we leave the comments open and my wife, bless her heart, does the comment moderation. Um, most days that's fine. Some days she ends up in a bad mood because of it. But <laughs> by and large, our commenters are really good. And we just, we have a strict policy in place because what we want to do is foster a constructive, positive conversation and keep everybody stoked about riding. And so there's some sites out there that get, you know, th their page views are easily four and five times ours. But if you look at the number of comments on their posts, you know, it can run into the hundreds on most posts. So where are their page views coming from? It's from people hitting refresh and just checking the comments to see you replied. And they inevitably devolve into mom jokes and fat jokes and everything else that's totally irrelevant to the story. And so we could probably pump our page views up by just letting it go wild. And um, we just, like I said, you know, like we leave a lot of money on the table to maintain a really good user experience. Yeah, I find a lot of um, online communication, commenting, et cetera, uh, very frustrating, quite frankly. I can uh, sympathize with your wife when she has bad days. Um, interestingly, so the reason I asked that, and I find the answer very fascinating, there's a lot of um, niche uh, vertical sites that I see, they do have comments. And sometimes the writers even say, what do you think about that decision? What do you think about this product? Whatever. Um, but interestingly, there's also a push to, I mean, I'm seeing, especially like bigger news sites, you know, they're just shutting comments down. They're like, we're not dealing with it. Um, and then I don't know if you saw this, but just came out in May here. Um, Twitter now is allowing people to turn replies to tweets off. So unless, uh, so they can, you can totally turn it off um, or you can turn it off for anybody you don't follow. So some people say, well, that doesn't encourage any engagement. But for some people, if they're like a big personality, most of the comments they get, they're crap. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I, it just depends on how you manage it, I guess. I mean, like I said, we try really hard to foster it. And, and when we started doubling down on the efforts, and we still check it daily, monitor it like every morning, sometimes in the afternoons too, um, it, it cleans it up. People finally, when they see that their stuff's getting deleted, and sometimes we actually write the word deleted so that people see that somebody's paying attention, you know, it, it got better. And yeah, Awesome. That's fantastic. Um, so education certainly matters, right? I mean, you mentioned earlier you launched the Content Peak Summit specifically for your customers? I mean, are they attending and or are they learning things there? Is that kind of the intent then? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, you know, an actual real live event mm -hmm. and it literally happened the last days before, you know, travel bans got locked down. So it was the March 12th and 13th. And on that Saturday, the 14th is when almost everybody just stopped allowing travel. So fortunately we squeaked that one in, but um, yeah, it was predominantly bike industry there. And I think, you know, for a first year event, it was probably just because like, that's who I knew, that's who I reached out to. And that's where most of the attention was on it. Um, yeah, the, you can, I, I'll send you the link to put in the show notes for this, but mm -hmm. it was, you know, all of the sessions are online for on demand and it was incredible. You know, the speakers and the content were wide ranging. So any brand manager, any marketer, anybody that, tries to tell a story in any way influencers even the media would get a ton out of this um so it wasn't the content of it was not bike specific but there was a big bike contingent in the audience for sure 
So my last question, I guess, uh, unless we think of something else here. Um, so certainly you're interested in cycling. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't spend your days and nights probably on a site. Uh, that's bikerumor.com. I mean, correct? Correct. Yeah. How, many, uh, how many miles in a year? Is that an appropriate question? Uh, yeah, sure, if I knew. <laughs> um, <laughs> I could say on a good week, I'll get, you know, anywhere from like 60 to 100 miles in. Just depends on the weather and how much travel. So lately it's been more because I haven't been traveling, but uh, which is kind of nice getting caught up in some stuff. But yeah, um, good bit of miles, good bit of mix of road, mountain, gravel, everything in between. Fantastic. Um, today I was joined by Tyler Benedict. You can check out his site, bikerumors.com. Tyler, where else can people connect with you? Yeah, so on social, it's all just at Bike Rumor. If you want to find that, if you want to find me personally, it's at Tyler Benedict. Um, pretty easy on everything. And yeah, reach out. Let me know what you thought. And if you got any questions, you know, for, especially for the media, I think that's that's what I've seen is like so much of the content marketing information out there is aimed at the brand. And there's a lot of small media, like the big guys kind of have it figured out, right? But like there's a small, a lot of small and medium-sized publishers out there that are still trying to crack that code. And I feel like we've done that. So I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone. Yeah, I, I do agree with that for sure, that uh, the content marketing information is for the brands. I actually did the publishing forum at the Content Marketing World Conference uh, last year and the year before as well. And they were brands in my session. And I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is for publishers, you know? And they go, oh, <laughs> we're a publisher. I'm like, that's not what we mean by that term in this context. Right. So very interesting. Tyler, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing these insights. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network. Available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.